Oh, hey, y'all. You've heard me brag for a while now about how I, a person who used to be scared to use my own oven, learned how to cook like a real live adult during lockdown, and now I am as good as that guy on the bear. Now, this is all true. Uh, here's the thing, though. Even though I am now an amazing chef, it takes me a very long time to cook. It is not something that comes naturally to me. And lately, my life has gotten way, way, way more busy, and I do not have the time to devote to cooking like I used to. That is why I am so deeply excited about the pod's new sponsor. They came along exactly when I needed them. I am talking about Factor. Let me tell you a little bit about Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You will have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And... There's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. Y'all, do you understand how amazing it is to have a microwave meal that that tastes like I spent hours cooking it, but it comes pre-prepared? One of my favorites that Factor sent me was roasted garlic butter salmon with celery root cauliflower mash and Parmesan broccoli, and it just came like that. I didn't have to cook it. Y'all, what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Here are some facts. Factor, they make two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They also do snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save, y'all. Factor has done the math. They are less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious, Factor is the perfect solution if you are looking for fast, upscale options done easily. They're also flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We are talking no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there is no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. What more do you need to hear, y'all? Head to factormeals.com slash comingoutpod50 and use code comingoutpod50 to get 50% off. That's code comingoutpod50 at factormeals.com slash comingoutpod50. Get 50% off! Bye! Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome. This is Coming Out with Lauren and Nicole. We are a weekly podcast where we have on queer folks from all walks of life. They tell us the tales of how they came out to friends, family, and the world at large. Uh, you may be at home or in your car or wherever you are. I don't know your life. You may be thinking, wow, Nicole is doing a phenomenal Lauren impression this morning. Um, fooled you. 
That was me doing the intro solo. Uh, Nicole sends her regrets to all of you out there listening. Uh, Leif is he, he not nobody worry. He's not seriously sick, uh, but he is the kind of sick where you have to stay home from daycare. Um, I'm not saying he has diarrhea, but I'm not not saying that he has diarrhea, if you get my drift. But the point is, I am solo today, uh, and Nicole sends her love and is doing a copious amount of uh, wiping and cleaning at the moment. Uh, But anyway, if you haven't turned this off already because of how graphic that was, uh, I am here today with Lily Zhang. Hello, Lily. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, So Lily is an author and DEI consultant. Um, If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you have heard us throw around the term DEI. DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, And it is what I would call like, it's, it's very much like a buzzy term that came into the lexicon a number of years ago. And now you see it. You see it in a lot of articles, you hear people talking about it, uh, but we're really going to dive into what it actually means today, what it's actually trying to accomplish. Is it accomplishing what it's trying to accomplish? All this good stuff. Uh, Because Lily had a book come out just a month ago. Um, The book is called DEI Deconstructed. Your no nonsense guide to doing the work and doing it right. Um, and so that is going to be a big focus of what we are talking about today. Congrats on the book. Ah, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's been a really exciting month. Uh, and yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, in this conversation, getting a chance to talk about the book and share a bit about my story and uh, ideally how those two things are connected. Exactly, and and there's, yeah. there's, there's so much there. Yeah, I'm excited to get to ask kind of all my uh, dumb person questions, because like I said, this is one of those uh, phrases that all of a sudden was just like popping up in articles. And I feel like we're all walking around like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm queer. I know what that is. But like, I feel like a lot (laughs) of us don't fully have an understanding of what DEI is and like what it's supposed to be, what it's like seeking to do. But we're I feel like we're all sort of faking like we're experts in it because we're queer people or you know um mm-hmm. so i'm glad to to feel like i'm in a safe space to ask all of those questions no yeah yeah go for it i'm i'm sure lots of folks listening are are very grateful to have someone else asking the questions yeah, that they wish they could of, ask that's my role on this podcast in general is like just raising my hand and asking like the the 10 year old versions of questions um, but we always like to kick off with asking our guests, Lily, how do you identify? Yeah, well, that's a big question because I have tons of identities like a lot of folks. Um, so in no particular order, uh, I identify as a non-binary queer trans femme. Uh, and then also as Asian American, specifically Chinese American. Uh, what else do I have going on? Um, <laughs> probably neurodivergent. Let's see what else is going on. Um, probably uh, at this point, like upper middle to maybe high class. Class is important to talk about. Um, yeah, we'll just we'll just start there. There's a lot, right? Like that's beautiful. And, 
Thank you for mentioning class, because we, you're right, that is, especially in the work you do, like, that figures into everybody's identity. Oh, yeah, totally. We have this weird thing where it's, like, not polite or whatever to discuss things like class and it's like well sorry that you don't feel it's polite but it hugely i mean queer and trans folks can have privilege too right like that's that's the thing right like no one's ever entirely a hundred percent marginalized in every dimension of everything we all have this complex mix of marginalizations and privileges and that's what makes us who we are absolutely yeah and that's the best definition that i've I've ever seen in terms of like a retort for when when somebody the whole like so we have we have white privilege which is the most I feel like common way in which we talk about privilege is like you'll hear people talk about white privilege and then inevitably especially on social media someone uh will defensively pop up in the comments and be like here are all the hard things in my life. Here's why I don't actually have white privilege. And the best way of uh, gently correcting that that I've seen is people saying, okay, so white, the concept of white privilege does not mean that your life has not been difficult. It means it has not been made increasingly difficult because of your race. So it's mm-hmm. in no way, did I say that correctly? Yeah, that like yeah that's, a, that, that's yeah. about right. Yeah, that's, that's what so, folks say. Like you're saying, yeah, it's not saying like, oh, you've had it super easy, like, because you're the majority or whatever. It's like, no, 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 you could have many, many difficulties. They're just not caused by the fact that you're white. I'm glad to dive into stuff like class, income, all that stuff that we're taught as kids, like, you don't talk about in quote-unquote mixed company, but, like, really figures into to all of this. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah, so let's at least start with with your story and sort of how it led you on this path where you just had a book come out last month. Yeah. But I'm sure it starts. Well, it's a long story if we want the story to end with the book, but I guess I'll start from the (laughs) beginning, which for me, depending on how I choose to start the story starts in middle school or high school or somewhere in that zone. Uh, I grew up, Uh, I would say a relatively average uh, second-generation Chinese-American boy, uh, because that's what I was and thought I was and identified as for the longest time. I think one of the narratives that you hear a lot is like, well, no, I always knew that I was ex-gender for like trans people. Uh, And I, I didn't always know that I was trans. I thought I was a boy because folks told me I was a boy and gender didn't really, it wasn't a big thing for me. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Like that's, that's fine. Um, And it was around, I guess not middle school, I guess high school when I first started uh, exploring my sexuality, which is a very fancy way of saying, I started thinking about people I found attractive. And at that point in time, I don't think I had bought in very much to the the sort of compulsive heterosexuality aspect of things. I was just like, I, I started off not thinking people were attractive, and now I think people are attractive. That's cool, I guess. <laughs> and at that point in time, I started off by, of course, saying like, oh, you know, 
girls are cute. That's nice, right? There are boys around me that are into girls, and I guess I'm into girls. Yeah. So, ex- yeah. Great. Sorry. You're like a sponge, sort of soaking up like whatever your peer group. Oh yeah. Is. And yeah, like yeah, I wasn't yeah. not into girls, right? I and fully, yeah. it was just like it was like comp, not comp head, comp something it was comp everything puberty right? or something yeah it's sure, just sure, like exactly oh this that. is what's going on cool me too <laughs> right right and yeah. i think around that time i also started exploring the internet uh as as a lot of teenagers do and started stumbling across like not safe for work content and going like oh what's all this right and honestly I had a a uncharacteristically really positive experience with uh, not safe for work content on the internet. Oh, I know it's very weird. That um, is incredible. <laughs> in that one of the first sites that I found actually had like this absurdly detailed like drop down menu essentially of all of the different sexualities and all of the different like things you could be into and next to each one of them was a fairly lengthy description of what it was and what it meant oh my god this and so it was like identify amazing. yourself and i was like what the hell do 95 percent of these terms even mean and rather yeah. than like running away i was like wait there's a description so <laughs> I spent a while just like reading all of those things and going like, wow, okay, my like third and fourth and fifth eyes all just opened. <laughs> and and uh, that was the fastest like sexuality 101 I've ever gotten in my life. And it was great. Like it was like That's unambiguously incredible. great. It, it was totally fine. It was really weird. Um, and the thing is, I didn't realize at the time how like radical it was. Right. So, so, you know, I would go to my friends and be like, oh, yeah, like, I think I'm into like this, 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 and this, and that, and this, because I, I was just on the site. And it's like one of those like things where you just check the mark for yourself. Right. So I was like, great. Now I have all these things for myself. And then people would look at me like I had, I don't know, started speaking in Latin or something. And they're yeah. like, what's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, I don't know what most of those things are. And I was like, oh, Okay, so How did, you found like the one like NSFW site that was like designed by like a sociology major or something. Maybe like, you stumbled I mean, on was, a really. It was eloquent... designed for role playing, so like that's, oh, that's probably why all the things. That's so funny because I was going to say what you're describing <laughs> with all the boxes sounds like when you search. Well, here's something about me: when you search like a fan fiction. Oh site yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. It's like, like Ao3 stuff, right? But like <laughs> totally. Ao3. Like, it doesn't yes. give you all the drop-down tags, right? It right. would be like if, if AO3 or fanfiction.net gave you a list of every tag available, right? Yes, it was the equivalent exactly. of that. It's very, like, a la carte. It's like a really upscale restaurant where you're just sort of creating your own yeah, experience. Yeah, it was, it was wacky. Um, That's beautiful. So around that time, I also, you know, started to think about my attraction to guys, specifically. And, you know, despite seeing all of those terms on the internet, uh, I still had some pretty, I would say, inaccurate ideas about sexuality. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, what I want to be doing with myself, I'm exploring, like, what at the time I didn't think of as gender identity, but I'm realizing now was also gender identity. So I was thinking, like, I don't really like guys' clothes. 
Uh, mm -hmm. And women seem like they have cooler options, and I want to wear that stuff. But then in my head, I was like, wait, guys can't wear women's clothes. You're not allowed to do that. And then I was like, wait, you know what guys are allowed to wear women's clothes? Uh, gay men. Like, you're allowed to be femme as a gay mm -hmm. man. And then I was like, I like that. Uh, well, I want to wear women's clothes, so I guess I got to be a gay man to do that. Yeah. So I was like, I guess I'm a gay man now. Because yeah. in my head, it was like, that was the hoop you had to jump through to oh, get fully. access to the that's, gender I mean, norms. To, yeah, Many it was... parts of our country where people still think that's a one for one. Oh, like, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, until very recently, that was... We did not understand that sexuality and gender are not just like one big fat line. It's like, no, those are two lines that we squished together because mm -hmm. we didn't fully understand either of them. Right. So so it was at that point in time when I was like, okay, I guess I have to renounce everything I've ever said about thinking women are cute because I have to be a good gay man because yeah. I want to wear these shirts that I think yeah. look good on me. <laughs> it was weird. Um, but I was, so that, that sort of happened for a bit and that was it wasn't the, that, that was high school, still that was so high school. school. Yeah. Okay. And where did you it, grow up? I grew up in the peninsula of the, the, uh, San Francisco Bay area. Um, okay. so a fairly progressive place, yeah. but it didn't feel like it when I was there. Um, there were okay. maybe one or two other gay students and like one gay, uh, teacher at my school. Oh, um, that feels pretty. Huge. That was interesting, like right? So, yeah, so yeah. the out gay teacher was was special and really interesting, and yeah. uh, he definitely was supportive uh, when I was coming out. I think it, my experience was complicated a bit by the fact that uh, I was out to my friends at school, but not out to my parents until uh, I still don't know the details. Apparently a parent of one of my friends at school outed me to my parents uh, by calling them at the home phone. And that was, that was bad. Oh, that was, that was a really bad situation. Uh, a little bit, like, a little wow. bit. Yeah. Oh my so, God. So I had a tough time and we sort of settled into like a like a don't ask, don't tell sort of situation where they just sort of pretended like it never happened as long as I never talked about it. They uh, never confronted you about. Oh, no, they did. The... And it's oh, they did. And that oh, was okay. bad. But uh, then they were like, so we had the talk. This is never going any further and we're not more like, about yeah, again. yeah. So like we had the talk and we're never going to have the talk again because yep. it's not going to happen again. Don't don't do this. Um, so, uh, I got a little paranoid for a bit because I was like, which one of y'all, like, yeah, told your sure. parents and, yeah. uh, outed me. Um, but it was, like, that, that didn't last for very long because a couple months later, I stumbled on Wikipedia and found the entry for, at the time, transsexual, which, okay. uh, at the time, right, felt like a non-problematic term. We don't use the term yeah. these days. We say transgender, but back in the early 2010s, we say we, it was still acceptable to say trans. It's literally what we were talking about, about us thinking that sexuality and gender were the same. So the word oh, was yeah. transsexual, and then we were like, oops, transgender, those are not the same things. Sure. So. Well, it's, it's complicated. My first book actually has a full history of all of the terms and definitions we use in like trans topics. Uh, not to say we came on to this podcast to talk about my first book. My first book's called Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace, Transgender oh, and Gender Diverse great. Discrimination. So Holy that's, shit! 
that's relevant. Um, okay, well, we can talk well, about people that another can, time. Yes, we can. We people can Google that you can title link to it. That, yeah. Yeah, 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 that sounds great. Okay. Anyways, um, so I Google transsexual, <laughs> or I found it on Wikipedia, and was like, oh, "Holy crap! You mean like people can change their gender? You mean like?" They, like you don't have to stay whatever gender that you are like what the hell and i tell folks that like i'm really bad at being in the closet because mm. once i realize i'm in a closet i get claustrophobic and i need to get out of it so yeah. it takes me a long time to realize i'm in a closet but once i realize i'm in a closet i have to get out of it well, like, so probably yeah, but... within a week of me finding that like wikipedia entry i came out as trans because i was oh, like all right. right done like i figured it out um surprise everyone not actually a gay boy uh i'm trans always have been because at the time it was like you really have to announce that you've always been something so oh yeah like, the pressure to have like been sure since birth yeah basically. it was Did funny because i be, yeah because i still have the facebook post where i was just like i've always been gay and then like a few months later i was like actually i've always been trans people were like wait how does that work and i'm like don't worry about it I've always been like this. I knew when I was four seconds me. old. Like, yeah. I don't know. There so, is such a pressure, though, to be sure. Like, I do think that gets imprinted upon queer people because it's like we're constantly, quote unquote, having to prove ourselves to the wider, like, cishet world. So it's like, you got to come in guns blazing and be like, I am so confident and I know what all my labels are. And I yep. and that's why, like, it's just so detrimental because then so many of us have label alterations or full on label changes. And then we're kind of afraid to, like, talk about oh, yeah. it because we don't want to feel like we're betraying our and it's like it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and I feel like exploration is such a crucial part of the process, right? But now yes, and this has only gotten worse, I think, in the last ten years, like looking at like newer generations, right? Like I'm mm. seeing like elementary and middle schoolers going like I know absolutely what my identity is and what it will always be and I'm like that's great mm. to like know yeah. how you feel right now but like you do realize that that's going to change right yeah. like give yourself a little bit right <laughs> and like usually when when people hear like oh identities change they're just like oh that's a dog whistle for saying that like it's just a phase and I'm like no 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 like identities evolve over time like I'm yes. not saying that like queer people are faking it but I'm also saying, like, you know, straight folks can identify as straight for a long period of time and then identify as queer. Like, yes, everything is fluid. Everything can change. Have to allow for that. Like, we exactly. can't be afraid to acknowledge that change slash evolution happens and is right. usually inevitable in some way, shape or form. So, yeah, thank you for mentioning that, because I do really think we get not mixed messaging, but we get messaging maybe internalized messaging about how confident you have to be absolutely like yeah as you're coming out and that is that's yeah. a bummer <laughs> so you know there there i was right a uh, a newly out trans femme a trans woman uh i guess a trans girl because i was like 16 maybe yeah, and nice. um yeah. It was tough. I was like the first out trans person in my high school. Um, none of the teachers knew what to do with me. They they like yeah. sent me to the gay teacher who was like, uh, I don't I don't know what to do about this. The gay teacher's like, ugh, the, again, y'all, that's gender. I mean, I'm he gay, was, that's he was like pretty, pretty close with me when I was like a gay 
guy student, yeah. right? Because he was like, oh, totally. I can help with this. And then I transitioned <laughs> in and he was like, I don't, I don't got this anymore. I don't know yeah, anything about this. Yeah, good for him for acknowledging that and being like, it's out of my wheelhouse. Well, he did <laughs> like, his best, right? Because like he yeah, was the only course. person in the entire school who like knew anything about like LGBTQ plus stuff. Yeah. Um, so he tried, but it was tough. The, um... <sighs> The uh, school, I don't think was like outwardly super conservative, but they weren't like super progressive either. And yeah, that yeah. that was in the time before uh, California passed protections for trans folks to use the bathrooms oh, corresponding with their gender. So I was like forced to use um, like the nurse bathroom all the way across campus oh, every single time yeah. I wanted to use the bathroom which didn't make sense because that walk would take five to ten minutes right one way so I would just use the women's bathroom closest to whatever class I was in and then uh, other like girl students would report me uh, to the office and then I would get detention and that just kept happening um, and then the oh. the vice principal one time was like, well, you know, you can't blame them because they're worried that like you might rape them or something. And I'm like, what? What? Right? Like, are wow. you kidding me? And um, that's good vice if principaling. I, if I had access to a lawyer, or if I knew what a lawyer was at that point in time, I probably would have had a case. But at the time, I just wanted to like get through it, and I wanted to survive. And so I was just like, okay. Uh, F this, right? Like, F all of you. Um, I'll just keep my head down, and I hate you all, and I hate myself, and uh, I'll just get into college and be done with all of this. And I had a pretty rough home situation as well. My parents weren't yeah. super supportive the second time around. Um, uh, were you, yeah, in tough. terms of how you were uh, presenting at home, was it the kind of thing where, like, you'd change when you get to Cool. or were you like no i'm wearing these clothes at home i'm like how was your um so something in between the two yeah, i would like yeah. change out at home but like still keep my makeup on sometimes and that would yeah. be bad um yeah. and then i'd like hide my clothes but then mom would be like yeah i know you have clothes and they look terrible on you and i'm like thanks mom <laughs> like that. Uh, that's like that's an unnecessary <laughs> like I mean, there was extra a lot of tension. dig yeah yeah so it i'm i'm not gonna like romanticize it but i also don't want to linger on it it was bad and i don't talk about it too much these days um but yeah it was a tough situation my mental health was really bad um i was kind of suicidal for a bit and uh i made it out like i got into the college that i wanted and i left and things got better in that like in college I found community and you know could express myself the way I wanted to and like happy ending rainbows yay wonderful right yeah. um but I I don't think coming out stories all end like that and mine was definitely more complex than I thought it would be because when I first went to college my thought was oh now I can finally like not be trans anymore I can just be seen as like a woman right oh, and everyone gotcha. will like okay will like respect my gender blah 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 and uh, within the first week of college someone dug deep back enough in my facebook to find the old stuff where i was trans and they were like hey everyone lily's trans like isn't this really exciting and then outed me wow. to like everyone in my dorm and then i was like you know that's what that's fucking insane <laughs> why have you been surrounded by people I don't, like I don't know. jesus I don't know. christ 
and, and and it wasn't coming from a bad place, right? It was coming from like this this person was actually queer themselves, and they were just really oh. happy to find another queer person. Oh, no, and didn't they're think like, about how it, can right? we best support this trans person? You're like, pretty much, yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> but That's but awful. it was good in the long run, right? Because okay. it 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 helped me understand that like I didn't necessarily want to be hiding that part of myself, okay. right? I didn't want okay. to be stealth. It was a lot. It was so much energy Lauren it was it was so much trouble and so much energy to like constantly be working on my voice and constantly be like watching how I presented and like yeah. trying to conform to like stereotypical gender norms and all of that to like yeah. try to that's hide that's how I feel already I can't imagine like it was, it was tough. yeah so then I got yeah. outed and then I was like honestly maybe this is good like maybe I just maybe I'm just done with like pretending like I'm not trans and maybe I'll just be trans forever and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And that that was good for me in the long run. And I think that that time in college, I was also exploring my uh, sexuality again, because yeah. when I had come out as trans, I was like, oh, then I don't need to be a gay boy anymore. So now I can think about sexuality in a more expansive way. Okay. And so I had more fun with labels. I think for a while I was, what was it, like panromantic asexual. Um, and I was... Um, actually very against the word queer for about a year because okay. I was kind of judgy. I was like, like queer doesn't mean anything. It's not specific. It doesn't tell I anything. was the same way when it first phase. started getting popular yeah. in LA. I was like, I don't like, it's a cultural label. And it's a, I yeah. was very much the same way. And, and I came around, right? So yeah, I, that entire experience, my identity and sexuality and gender identity had been completely divorced from like, historical understandings of like how trans folks have like you know fought sure. for rights and justice throughout history and in college i started learning about that history and contextualizing all of these things that i had read on like wikipedia like into the movements that they had started in and why they began right and i started recognizing that like you know trans liberation and like queer liberation and all of these things were were the legacy that allowed me to even have access to some of this terminology that I was using. Yeah, um, yeah, so I spent yeah. a lot of time recasting my identity and realizing that like, I can't just be queer or trans in a vacuum. Um, like, I need to be contextualizing myself within this broader history yeah. and, you know, connecting with my community and recognizing that like, we need to be in solidarity with each other. So that kind of uh, just fast forward quite a few years to the uh, COVID pan pandemic, right? Back in 2020. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, yes, I recall a it. A bunch of things changed, right? Between college and COVID for me, I started my career. Uh, I wrote my first book on trans discrimination in the workplace, but uh, re related to my coming out story, not much had changed there. I was pretty stable in my identity. I was like, I'm a trans woman. Like, uh, I'm a queer trans woman, really, you know, stable in my identity and this this feels very silly and very trite now that I say it, but when the pandemic first happened, uh, a few weeks after everyone went remote, I started asking myself, like, can you really tell if I don't wear eyeliner on camera? And then I was like, there. I don't actually think people can tell. And then I was like, okay, that's nice. Um, I guess I just won't wear that then. And then I'm like, do you think people can tell if I like don't shave for like a day or two on camera? No one could tell. And then I was like, okay, 
I guess I don't have to do that either. And then, you know, that sort of thing where like you wear pajamas for everything. So, you know, like why shave your legs? Um, and then it's just like, now. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then I just sort of had this like really weird thought where I was just like, is my entire sense of gender like wrapped up in these like performative like ways of expressing it to the world? And then I was I think it is. And then I was mm. like, do I still want to be a woman? And then I was like. Not really. Oh like, shit! Yeah. Like I don't dislike it, but like yeah. it's not super important to me. So then sure. I started, uh, you know, identifying as non-binary, using uh-huh. they them pronouns, um, and that that was back in 2020. And professionally, you know, this is one point that I wanted to make, which is that like, sure, I have my like traditional coming out story, right? Like high school, I realized my identity, but I think like a lot of folks i have to come out all the time every day and professionally i was building a name for myself i was building a brand for myself and for the longest time i was like oh lily like that like trans femme person who like does trainings on trans folks and so when i started using they them pronouns that was a big shift and it took my like linkedin community a while to like get used to that and to this day, right? Like there's there's still a lot of folks on LinkedIn who misgender me and, you know, despite me having my pronouns in my bio, right? They're like, Lily, uh, that's a woman's name, right? I'm so yep. inclusive. You're a trans woman. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah. not as of a couple years ago, bud, right? Like, <laughs> Isn't now it I'm wild? Like yeah. if even with the pronouns on the screen, people will still sometimes oh, yeah. me- like very that's funny. how much that's how hardwired our brains are from like, you know, what we grew up with, that we can be staring at something that says they, them, and still misgender somebody because our brain is like, uh, 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 this Lily's is either a male or female. Yeah. Like, it's so If only crazy. I had renamed myself, like, I don't know, Brick or something. Yeah, <laughs> like the stereotypical non It was between names. Lily and Brick. And, uh, I have to if... pick, like, random nouns, <laughs> oh my, you know? Like, I know. like, I could have changed my name to Cup or book that's the joke about non-binary <laughs> names is everyone's like my roommate sprout or like whatever like that's yeah, the ongoing yeah. joke but there, yeah. there's truth in that joke because it's like it's like that psychological thing where you're supposed to it's like you're looking at the word green but the letters are in blue and you're supposed to say what are the color of the land you're supposed to say blue even though the word says green i feel like that's how oh, yeah. people are every time they well, encounter well people pick names that aren't particularly gendered for a reason right so that yes. like that's an extension of their identity like yep. like we joke about it but it's important and i yeah. think it was a a big choice for me to not do anything with like changing my name and not changing my gender expression too much beyond like yep. i don't care about eyeliner i'll wear it sometimes i used to wear it all the time and it felt compulsory like i couldn't leave the house without it and now it's (laughs) like great now this this is something that i can just wear if i want to which is really liberating and um i don't know if that's like the end of my coming out story but like that takes us to the present day yeah Um, and 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 i think if if anything the through line for all of this is just that like my gender's changed a lot over time and I'm certainly more comfortable with my gender and sexuality now, but like, there's always a chance that something will happen in another oh, few God, years. Oh yeah. And Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. Like, that's why we often have guests back on, like, we've been doing this podcast for like four and a half years, and we have guests come back who were on years ago and to talk about, because it's like, we got to put our money where our mouth is. And we're always saying on this podcast, like, we evolve and things are fluid and labels change. So we realize at some point, like, oh, we need to prove that by having our guests back on to talk about 
what's changed in their life and their identity since the last time they told their coming out story. And that's been really eye opening. Oh, hey, y'all. You've heard me brag for a while now about how I, a person who used to be scared to use my own oven, learned how to cook like a real live adult during lockdown, and now I am as good as that guy on the bear. Now, this is all true. Uh, Here's the thing, though. Even though I am now an amazing chef, it takes me a very long time to cook. It is not something that comes naturally to me. And lately, my life has gotten way, way, way more busy, and I do not have the time to devote to cooking like I used to. That is why I am so deeply excited about the pod's new sponsor. They came along exactly when I needed them. I am talking about Factor. Let me tell you a little bit about Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You will have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And... There's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. Y'all, do you understand how amazing it is to have a microwave meal that that tastes like I spent hours cooking it, but it comes pre-prepared? One of my favorites that Factor sent me was roasted garlic butter salmon with celery root cauliflower mash and Parmesan broccoli, and it just came like that. I didn't have to cook it. Y'all, what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Here are some facts. Factor, they make two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They also do snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save, y'all. Factor has done the math. They are less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious, Factor is the perfect solution if you are looking for fast, upscale options done easily. They're also flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We are talking no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there is no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. What more do you need to hear? Y'all, head to factormeals.com slash comingoutpod50 and use code comingoutpod50 to get 50% off. That's code comingoutpod50 at factormeals.com slash comingoutpod50. Get 50% off! Bye. So when you started college, did you have in your mind an idea of what you wanted to do in terms of a career path? Because I'm I'm guessing you wrote oh, your first no book pretty clue. soon out of college, though. Am I, I wrong? Did. Like, I did. Yeah. But, but my first so, book was about trans people, right? So, so what I knew in college is that I wanted to do work that helped people, right? Which is very 
broad in general and yeah that's like every humanities major right um every psych major and i was a psych major um which was great i learned a lot and unfortunately psych is one of those degrees that on its own unless you like go into academia it doesn't it doesn't do much by itself uh super sorry everyone who's a psych major right now or looking to be one um so I had a tough time trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And what I did know is because I was one of the few out trans folks on campus, uh, I was getting asked a lot to like come in and talk about trans things as a student. Yep. And so I was just giving trans trainings from like sophomore year in college oh and, getting, and, and getting paid for it, um, honestly, which was good. As a student, yeah, you were getting yeah. paid to speak to like yeah. your peers essentially That's i mean so, i was what a to boss be fair, move. <laughs> i was working for like a diversity office right so i was getting paid by the diversity office to be a trainer on with campus them. though uh-huh yeah that's really yeah. cool that they did that That's really so i did cool. a lot of that yeah. and i was really good at it and yeah. around the same time i was also helping a phd candidate with her dissertation i i was the, the lead research assistant on that project oh. and so that project was a research project looking into the experiences of trans uh, workers in the bay area and so I basically took point on analyzing the data, on helping to contextualize some of the findings, lots of lit review. And after she got her PhD, um, we ended up working together to publish the findings of that PhD into a, to a book. And Holy I took shit. the lead on uh, publishing the book. Um, I'm second author on the book uh, because it was like her research, right? Were you but, still in college at this yeah, point? Yeah, I was in college. You um, were like a that was like my senior year. author in college. That's really yeah. Incredible. I mean, yeah. I I guess it was a lot. I, I did put in a it's lot of a, effort. It's not, that's not how I was spending a, my senior year. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Like we definitely were having parties and calling ambulances on occasion when the parties got out of control. Oh, so I'm jealous. I feel like I didn't get to do enough more. of that. <laughs> I was also having parties, uh, not any involving ambulances. So that was just on one, but it, it was a don't have a tequila contest where people have to do one shot every hour because after a couple hours, that's too many shots per hour. That's all I'm going to say. I feel so. So I feel like <laughs> a that's really dumb, and B like, yeah, we were very dumb. That's why we had to call the like, ambulance. <laughs> but like B, you gotta do something like that once in your life, right? Well, that's how I learned. Like, oh, so alcohol is a cumulative effect. So like, <laughs> see, like... see now, now the the blessing and the curse is I feel like I'm too responsible to do dumb shit like that. Yes. But you, I do feel yes. like I missed out on like some aspect of my I early twenties when my as the like prefrontal cortex clean wasn't developed the enough. Apartment after the party, <laughs> you did not miss out. Uh, uh, that's all I will say. <laughs> but trust me, getting published your senior year is preferable to me cleaning up the morning after that party my senior year. Ideally, so I would have had go. both. But, <laughs> yeah, in a yeah, perfect so. world. In a perfect world. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what led me to that first book. And uh, from there, I think I didn't know what I wanted to do for my career. After graduating college, I actually went back to work for that same diversity office as a staff member, oh, um, cool. providing more trainings just to like faculty and staff this time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I liked it. It was good work. And I had the kind of egotistical belief that uh, I could do it better. And so 
I left and started my own business, eventually doing diversity training, uh, or first doing diversity training, first starting on trans trainings, what I was doing on campus. And then I branched out, right? I started doing trainings on on race equity um, and really didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that the training was one off. I didn't like the fact that like, you know, my impact wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And those were the seeds of me pivoting my business to focus more on DEI strategy and assessment and uh, survey stuff. And, was DEI uh, already like a, a a phrase, an acronym at the time that you were started? Like how early? Uh, it was it was D and I at the time. It was okay, diversity and inclusion. Equity hadn't sort of come on the scene yet. That's parallel to how they all used to be called gay and lesbian centers, and now they're all LGBT centers. Sure, like, it's yeah, really that's, interesting that's definitely how part that, of it. Yeah, how that so, so you know diversity work has been, like, done since the 70s, right? Sure, like, it's, yeah. It's, like, 50 years old. But, yeah, the yeah. terminology has been changing. And around, I think, the mid-20... The late 2010s is when D and I started shifting to DEI. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, DEIB, we're seeing JEDI for justice, we're seeing um, yeah, DEIA, A for accessibility, we're seeing DEIB for just belonging. Like the queer, it's so wild. It's literally following the same trajectory where it's like, oh, yeah. we do the QIA 2 plus and they're, and they're like, we're doing JED. Like, it's oh, like yeah, everyone's you know, the L- LGBTQ. QIA 2P yep, plus, right? Yeah. Good, good one. Yeah. So, like, so yeah, no, so there's, <laughs> there's, there's lots of parallels. And I yeah. think, um, uh, do I, do we want to get into the history of, of shared acronyms and solidarity? Cause I mean, that's also a big section of the book. If you'd like to a little, like all, all of this that we're talking about from this point on is going to be like new to our listeners, like literally. Oh, okay. And I actually think, I actually think it's really good to talk about because it it is becoming one of those things that's like ubiquitous almost. It's like if you're a CEO and you haven't done some kind of a like DEI workshop, like what, come on, man, like what are you doing? But so it feels like it's it's in danger of becoming a box to check as opposed to actually making sure the message is getting through. Oh yeah, yeah, Does yeah. that make sense? <laughs> like... Sure. So we can we can start talking a bit about this. So. Uh, getting into like solidarity terms or large terms like LGBT, for example, yeah. um, a lot of people use that term now and they don't really know where it came from. They're like, why would you group like lesbians and gay folks with trans folks? Right. Like, why did that happen? Uh-huh. Um, there was a really strong historical reason why that happened, which was in the I'm going to get the century or the decade wrong 70s. I want to say 60s or 70s. Um, we we had a very strong gay rights movement that was primarily led by wealthy white gay folks, essentially saying, um, well, the Stonewall um, riot, right, like was great and all, but like we we the respectable gays are just like you other straight white people, Uh, right? Like we want a white picket fence and a dog. The only difference is we're two men and very like respectable men. We did the and, same thing with marriage equality in like 2000, what was it, eight or whatever, where, the, where it's like, we're the same as you. It's just a, like, so we didn't it's learn the other a way around. The that. marriage equality stuff 
came from the same seeds of like white men in the 70s exactly that's what i'm saying it's like crazy that we didn't learn like don't do that it's gonna fuck i mean and now it's fucking us over right like we as white white queer people oh well (laughs) yes perhaps Um, we as white queer people being like no 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 we got this and then it's like (laughs) right it's respectability politics essentially right this idea that if you appeal to the folks in positions of power and say like well i'm not like those like dirty queers of color then like maybe we'll be safe and that's not how it worked but back in the 70s they came for me poem it's like Come on, guys, historically, mm-hmm. this will not last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I never sorry, thought they'd ahead. eat my face, says woman who voted for face-eating party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, anyways, okay. um, so at the time, right, uh, trans folks essentially said, nah, you can't break away from mm-hmm. us who literally started this work because mm-hmm. the Stonewall riot um, was mostly led by folks Mm -hmm. who not only were trans, but like trans folks, low-income gay folks, cross-dressers, drag queens, gender non-conforming people. At the time, sex and gender, right? Sorry, sexuality and gender were not super distinct. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a source of organizing power because the police didn't care if you were a gay man or a trans woman. Mm -hmm. In their eyes, everyone who was deviant was clustered into the same category. And so the reason why LGBT started was as a solidarity term, essentially saying, even though we are somewhat different, those in power will always see all of us as belonging to the same group of deviants. So we have to stick together to fight for each other or else our movement's going to be fractured. And that's how the term came about. It wasn't just an umbrella term for no reason. It was a solidarity term. And we actually see a very similar trajectory for another term people might be familiar with, which is people of color, um, which if you don't know the history of, you're just like, why do you use people of color when what you mean is like black folks, Lat- Latina folks, indigenous folks, South Asians, East Asians, West Asians, right? Mixed folks. Why do you say people of color? And the origin of people of color came about in a women's collective conference back in the, I also want to say 70s, where Black women, uh, Latina women, indigenous women, Asian women came together and said, we have very different issues, but there are common through lines across all of them. And unless we organize together, we're not going to be able to solve issues for any of us. We're going to create this term, person of color or women of color in that case, to denote solidarity with each other. Now, here's the thing, in 2022, Right. Most people don't know that history. They just see it as an agglom like like a conglomeration of random identities. Yep. Right. So this they're just like, oh, we got to name on. every identity under the sun. So LGBTQIA2P plus. Right. Saying like these are all the labels that exist. And they completely ignore the fact that regardless of what labels are included in the identity, the fact that the term itself means we need to be working for each other even if we don't share the same experiences and there's a similar critique with people of color we talk about that all the time in the podcast and the thing that is so fucking frustrating is that that is what like the shitty conservative right has done well it's like their solidarity is so good that the poorest fucking white people in the middle of the country are a billion percent aligned with the richest fucking white people in power because they're like i'm the same as you so like they're so good 
at that concept. And then right. we're like too smart for our own good because we're like, no, 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 it's super important that we're all individuals. And it's like, let's okay, all pick but these we... tiny differences yep. amongst ourselves. And then let's fight with each other movements. and ignore the fucking people, like the overlords directly above our head. Like it's yeah, maddening. There's, there's definitely some of that. Yeah. Maddening. But like you're describing it exactly. It's like, the, yes, it's because, yes, we are acknowledging that we are different, but we have to consolidate our power in some way if we want to fight the bad guys like this is action movie 101 like a ragtag group fucking comes together and you know fights the big bad guy like i don't come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) we Mm -hmm. know this okay sorry that's just like my pet gripe um (laughs) anyway (laughs) anyways so there's there's the history 101 for y'all listeners um where do we go from here? Oh, <laughs> I feel like yeah. we've been talking about a lot. Well, in terms of DEI, like, yeah, I'd love to talk about how your book, like, it, it the impression I get is, like, it's not shying away from the stuff that I was kind of asking questions about, which is, like, is this ticking a box or are we really making sure the message is getting through, like, like, I think anytime something becomes buzzy or popularized, it gets in danger of, like, not really right. <laughs> being implemented the way it was set out to be implemented. So I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on that, because I'm starting to see on Twitter more buzz about people being like, DEI, is, it's like it's not being used correctly. It's not being used for, like the right reasons people who were hiring are doing like you say like one and done workshops and it's like what is that's not right you're not gonna solve it in one yeah so dei you know diversity equity and inclusion work was started after the civil rights movement in the u.s essentially to rectify inequalities to make sure workplaces um desegregated to enforce, you know, the the Civil Rights Act and to make sure that there wasn't any racial discrimination, later um, gender discrimination, and then other forms of discrimination as well. And so if you look just at that very simple start for DEI, it's pretty clear what the goal is, which is DEI's goal is to reduce discrimination in everything, right? In hiring processes, in promotions, in treatments, in workplaces, right? In uh, how customers are engaged with. And so we can ask ourselves the simple question, has DEI actually ended discrimination? No, it hasn't, right? Wild, yeah. Wild, right? No, it hasn't. Because unfortunately, um, a lot of folks are right, DEI, uh, lost its way. It stopped being centered in outcomes, uh, not not since affirmative action, actually. And I know affirmative action is a dirty word in the U.S., <laughs> but it turns out when you look at the last 50 years of intentional initiatives to make places more diverse, to make them more equitable and inclusive, there's only one thing that worked, and that was actually affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Like affirmative action significantly changed the representation of universities and campuses, it was starting to to significantly change the representation of workplaces as well. And then it got torn down by, um, you know, Baki versus the UC system. And since then, every DEI effort, and this is kind of a sweeping conclusion, but it's supported by a lot of research, most DEI efforts at the very least um, started being about the performance 
of saying the right things, but uh, stopped yeah. being rooted in measurably changing representation, yeah. measurably ending discrimination. And as a result, uh, we've just had 30, 40 years of spinning our wheels. That's and that's funny. been really bad, right? That's it's been like really depressing. That's like liberalism in a nutshell. It's like, you got to say the right thing, but do you understand the actual words you're saying? Do you live by them? Uh, or are you just well, making the here's, tweets? Here's the thing. Right. Even if they understand the words they're saying, like, this is... Talk about neoliberalism, right? Thinking yep. that like individual level solutions, right? Thinking that like just changing people's hearts and minds will be enough to dismantle yeah. decades, if not centuries of inequality and oppression yeah, yeah. codified in processes, policies, laws, practices, company cultures, right? Um, and DEI for the last X number of years has essentially said, well, we only have discrimination because people have these bad ideas in their heads. So if we can just go in and like <laughs> fiddle with your brain a little bit, we'll make everyone a good person yeah. and then discrimination will end. Very and yeah. unfortunately, that's not what's happened. Um, discrimination is alive and well, uh, and our country continues to be a dumpster fire, if not mm -hmm. a worse dumpster fire than it was 10 years ago. Oh yeah. And so the book, <laughs> is it it doesn't shy away from that and you might think like lily that's a really depressing and cynical book but i think you know what the book tries to do is it builds on this long history of our field failing and and pulls out all the nuggets of learning that everyone who's failed before us has arrived at and then it pulls all these evidence-based practices which by the way we do have like it's possible to do the work effectively just most people don't do it and it supercharges every chapter with like every single evidence-based practice and every single like effective tactic from history that i could possibly find um wow. the um the big document that i started this book off of was a research document that i created for myself to just document things that i found that were successful and it had two thousand references in it wow. it was it was enormous um yeah. the book only has 500 so you know, I really showed restraint, but there's a <laughs> lot in there, right? Like there's so much that we do know about how to meaningfully raise representation, how to end discrimination, how to create inclusive cultures. Um, and I wanted to make sure that anyone could access all of that information yeah. and all of that knowledge through the book. So I wrote it. Oh my God. Okay. So what do you feel? Are, I don't want to say like the most important thing, because how do you pick stuff like that? But like, how do you feel? How do we course correct at this point like if you're a ceo listening to this i'm sure we have a ton of ceo listeners <laughs> she said facetiously like how do you when you're saying you know it's been like 30 years or whatever of kind of like veered off the tracks like what's i guess like the early steps of trying to get the trolley back on the track yeah well step number one is <laughs> recognizing how far off the track the trolley is yeah. And step number two is realizing why, right? So not not just saying, hey, everyone, I realize that we're all screwed, right? But instead saying, we're in trouble, and this is why we're in trouble. This is how we're in trouble. This is how we got there. So starting from a place of saying, like, we lack diversity because, for example, our hiring process uses a referral practice where everyone just refers more people like them. And because we started with 10 cisgender heterosexual white people, now that we're 100 people, why are they all cisgender heterosexual white people? Because we incentivize them to refer more people like them, right? Uh -huh. And to do those sorts of um, reverse engineering their current messed up situation 
into a set of, well, we made this decision back then, or we've implemented this policy that has unintended consequences, or our company culture incentivizes certain ways of acting over others, right? For example, um, if let's say a company culture is really cutthroat and people compete with each other and discrimination is tolerated because it helps people like get yeah. a leg up on, on each other. Yeah, right? if it's like commission or something, like people right, aren't exactly. going to be like, let me be generous to my, like it's fucking ruthless. <laughs> exactly, right. So like the, the building blocks of a toxic culture are, you know, the policies, the processes, what's incentivized, what leaders model. Mm -hmm. And so you can deconstruct everything into those com component parts and say, now we understand how messed up things got. Let's start experimenting with fixing these things. Let's design new policies, new processes, new practices. Let's change our leadership. Let's change leadership practices. Let's change our culture. And using all of these tools, which the book uh, you know, provides from research um, to focus on changing each of these aspects of our messed up workplaces, we can do better. We can design better workplaces. Okay, so follow up question, and I don't know if you're still like in the trenches, like going into or or if at this yes. point you're. Oh, you are still. Okay, so, All great. The time. So that's great. So my question is, do you experience pushback from supervisors who you kind of explain this, and they're like, "That sounds like a huge overhaul. Is there something that we could just do in like a couple sessions? Like, how yeah, willing and are I don't people? Do it. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Okay, yeah, because I imagine that like. A lot of bosses or, or managers or whoever is hiring people to come in and do this are expecting to sort of have like one day of well, like yeah. They like budgeted maybe like $5,000 yes. for like, exactly. you know, and one then you workshop. Come in and you're like, cool, so we have to change the company culture. So what, if anything, can you do when confronted with that? Or is that a point where it's like, okay, you got like we got to focus on the businesses we have a shot with like this one is it's like so there's a bit of both there's a bit of both right i i work <laughs> with companies that have enough self-awareness to realize they need help okay which cool, cool. is a decision that means that the companies that most need help don't reach out to me or i don't talk to them because i, I i'm not the right person to fix that yeah that's a parallel now, to like dating it's like the people who know that they need to work on themselves aren't on apps because they're in therapy working on themselves and the people on dating apps are like well i'm crazy <laughs> it's like that's interesting i think it's the opposite then because oh, no. um because the companies because the companies who um <laughs> who most recognize that they need help are the companies looking for help, right? The, yeah. the companies that are the most messed up are not looking for help. No, that's what I mean about the dating app. So it's like the people who recognize that they need to work on themselves are working on themselves. And the people who are just like spraying their crazy everywhere mm. are like, let me spread this crazy all over the LA area. That's, I went personal right, because right, that's right, been right. my experience. But anyway. <laughs> I yeah, digress. so so there's some of that, right? That's that's a selection effect. What yeah, what yeah. what we call a selection effect. So people who need help will reach out to consultants like myself, and the folks who are too messed up don't reach out. Now that said, right, like there's still a lot of resistance from folks who reach out because no one wants to spend a ton of money on like totally recalling anything, unless there's a really good reason to do so. And they're not going to just take me at my word when I say, by the way, you should totally change everything about everything your your company does because I say so, which is why I'm in the business of DEI assessment, right? I do assessment work. I help companies understand the lay of the land in their own environments. So 
that looks like surveys, focus groups, one-on-ones, conversations with leaders, um, qualitative and, quali- and, and quantitative surveys. And that helps us understand, is there a problem? And if there is, to what extent is there a problem? So that data can reveal, for example, that the turnover rate might be, I don't know, uh, 5% for straight people and 35% for queer and trans people. Okay. Right. And if you have numbers like that, and let's say you do follow up surveys with queer and trans people where they're just like every manager I've ever had is a raging bigot because managers aren't held accountable for their behavior and aren't taught to be better. Then what is a CEO supposed to say? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't care. Right. Like, I guess they Mm -hmm. can, but it looks really bad. (laughs) And so now we have data essentially saying, like, not only do we know the problem, we know why it might be happening. Okay. And so this is how we fix it. If the problem points at, let's say, managers being awful because they don't have time, they don't have resources, and they don't have support, and they don't have accountability, then the solutions mean let's provide managers time, support, resources, and accountability. Hmm. And then let's test, let's experiment. Let's say we do implement some sort of training for managers. Let's say we overhaul the manager um, evaluation process. Let's say we change the, the the criteria for who gets to be a manager and then we wait six months to a year for those things to to take place survey again and yeah. ask ourselves did they work so they have to commit to like this is a long-term thing like we All are going to check commit yeah. to two surveys okay 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 wow and then uh, kind of i guess like l- last last ish question cuz i i could ask like 8 billion questions about this but something i'm really curious is about uh curious about is do you get pushback cuz this is the kind of pushback that i'll see oh i spent too much time on twitter so i reference it so much but i'll see on twitter people uh st- predominantly straight white dudes saying well right now you got to admit it is kind of harder or at least as hard to be a straight white dude because no one is looking to hire us because like we're in this year. And my sort of argument is like, even if that was true, which I still, I still think it's not, I still don't think it's true, but throw them a bone. Even if it was true, well, then it's like, well, y'all had a run of it for centuries. So now in the same way as kind of affirmative action, it's like, okay, we're trying to level the playing field. So if you're going to be down for a couple of decades, like everyone else has been down for centuries. So like that, but I, yeah, I get, I don't, I don't know how to argue it. Okay. Can you give me a constructive argument when someone says that? Cause I get like emotional about it and that's not helpful. (laughs) Yeah. So I think one is a lot of folks feel like it's harder to be a white man right now than it is yes. to be other and they groups. say that a lot. <laughs> and I think what they're speaking to is culturally, it's less acceptable to get away with what they've been able to get away with before, right? So it's harder to get away with white supremacy and it's harder uh-huh. to get away with toxic masculinity. So if you're a white supremacist, toxically masculine white man, it is measurably harder to be you. But what we're trying to do as a society is collectively think of, of different and better ways to conceptualize whiteness and masculinity, right? Like we are, we are trying to create better ways to be people in the world that don't involve doing harm onto others. And so 
there's going to be an adjustment period. And I understand that like a lot of men feel adrift right now because all of their models for being men in the world are being shot down as being problematic, rightfully so. But there are much fewer, there are far fewer models in the world for like a man that we say like most men should be like that. But we have no shortage of models to say <laughs> men should not be like this, 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 right? Yeah. So I get it. It feels tough, right? And and feelings are valid, right? Like maybe they're not always rooted in fact, but yeah. feelings are always valid. So yeah. this is one thing that that we've learned from the history of DEI work. If you tell people that how they feel about something doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you're right, yeah, they will never listen to you. You completely yeah. lose them, right? Totally so we have right. to say, like, I get it. You might feel adrift. You might feel frustrated. Um, let's let's talk about this. Let's find a way to trace back, you know, what you're frustrated about. And to some extent, you can talk about facts. You can say, like, you know, I know that these hiring processes, by the way, still actually advantage men. We, we actually have good data on that through, okay. like, hiring studies, right? So it so for is, example, like a myth that it is a misconception that it is suddenly harder to get oh hired. yeah it's uh, it's okay. not harder for men or, or sorry it is it is not harder for men than it is for other men. genders and it's not harder for white people than it is for other races but the advantages are less than they used yes. to be so it's harder than it was for white men 30 years if you're measuring white men against white right. men but if you're measuring them against anyone else, Correct. they still have an advantage. That's Correct. the distinction. So okay. so the feeling is this loss Ugh. of power, which is a real loss of yes. power, right? Like yes. maybe maybe yes. if it was a white man versus like a white woman in a job, like ninety percent of the time the white man would be get, get chosen thirty years ago. Now yes. it's only sixty percent of the time. Hey, so that feels like look a drop us. in thirty yeah. percent of power, which is a huge drop. Yeah. Right? But it's still disproportionate. And so yeah. It's very hard to understand that, right? Because their feeling is that they've lost something, and technically they have. Yeah. And so we need to to strike this boundary, this this um, balance between saying, "I get that you feel like you've lost something," and right, like this is where we currently are. Let's find a way to create a future that's better for everyone, and that makes everyone feel good about themselves, right? Like this is yeah. also one of the the big takeaways from DEI work. People really want to feel good about themselves. If yep. you can design a solution that makes everyone feel good, then they'll they'll buy into it. If you design a solution that might technically be equitable but makes some people feel bad, they will think it's the worst, most discriminatory thing in the world. Yes. Oh my and god. And no data okay. you can give them will change their mind, right? Like you have to make people feel good. And that's that's not something all of us can do, right? And it shouldn't be everyone's responsibility to make to to make the angry white du you know, cis dudes labor. on Twitter, I, right? right? Like that's like the definition of emotional right. labor. Sure, sure, or but but it's not everyone's job <laughs> yeah. to do that. Your, but yeah, for yeah, some yeah. people, right, especially those in workplaces who might have the responsibility to be making these initiatives succeed, I would say it's our jobs, right? And yeah. and we wow. just need to remember that. Someone has to do it, and it may, it may not be you, but someone has to do it. Someone has to help everyone feel good about the future we're trying to create. Oh my God, Otherwise, yeah. the polarization we're seeing right now is only going to get worse. Totally. And, like, God bless you and the people out there who... It's like, if you have the gift where you can deal 
with that without losing your shit and yelling five seconds into it and you decide you want to go into that field, God bless you, because the the Venn diagram of those, it's like, it's not that many people. Like I said, I will have such an emotional reaction to that kind of shit. And then I'll just be like, well, you're good. And it's like, yeah, I, I'm. Well, I that, that, that just work. means the best thing for you to do is to like take care of yourself and to not engage. Right. And, and or this to do is a also... podcast where I can speak to people like you <laughs> and I can express <laughs> all those frustrations. Yeah, we all got to find our individual like niche for what we can do. But I'm really thankful for folks like you who are like non-reactive, I think is the word I'm looking for. Where it's oh, no, like I'm definitely you're... reactive. Like people piss me off. I just don't take it out on them because. Yeah, that's like better. What I try what to do, do. <laughs> is I make sure that my interactions with people are, are effective, whatever effective means. Right. At the very least that they do no harm. And yep. unfortunately... Unfortunately for me, I've read too much research about what happens to people when they engage with angry internet comments uh-huh. to have any faith in contributing at all to that because it actually yeah. makes everyone feel worse from the commenter to the person being commented to. Yeah, and it just yeah, makes yeah. everything toxic. The only people it benefits, by the way, is the social media platform, which uh, benefits a lot from outrage and engagement. Yep, and that's yep. a toxic pattern that we should all divest from. I totally agree. That's why I, I only will engage. I will only do uh, joke replies, bit replies. I had a great back and forth. Not back and forth. He wasn't. I'm sure he wasn't seeing them. But I went. I tweeted Rob Schneider like six times with different of his movie posters. Like that to me is how... I deal with my rage. Hey, if it's comedy. entertaining and yeah, it, it, it helps it you deal with that, yeah. that's great. <laughs> but I'm so glad that people like you are like doing the work. Um, Lily, where can people find your current book, your newly released book, uh, the the original one that we touched on briefly? Uh, where can they find you in general? Yeah, all of the anything you want to plug and all. Of sure. The to find yeah. You. So so the easiest way to find all of my work is on my website, which is lilyzang.co, uh, not com. But co so l l i l y z h e n g dot co, and um, if you want to engage with more of my work, my writing, uh, I write every two days or so on LinkedIn, and also write for the Harvard Business Review and some other publications. So you can find that on LinkedIn. Uh, just look me up, Lily Zhang, and feel free to follow me. I love engaging with people from all walks of life and having more folks in my network. So. Yeah, you can start there. Oh, that, that's great. Um, okay, so I am at Lauren Flans on Twitter, Lauren underscore Flans on Instagram. Uh, we are at Coming Out Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Our hashtags are hashtag Coming Out Pod, hashtag Found Ricky. This is me in my head being like, I have to do all of Nicole's parts in the outro. Uh, but first, let me shout out our patrons Kim, Simone, Jim W., Jack, Adri, Tanya, Mandy, Tia, Sarah Wilson, Mix, Michelle Forbes, Pooh, We Bleed Philly, Sammy, Michelle, Kaz, Carmel, Kieran Smiley, Aaron Mitchell, Vanessa Hunt, Diego Hernandez, and BeyondClexa.com. And as Nicole is fond of saying, if you would like to be on that list, check out patreon.com slash coming out pod. We have uh, all tiers of giving starting at $1. We are announced. In fact, by the time this episode is out, I think we will have already announced the date of our uh, holiday Patreon viewing party that we're doing. 
Um, and Nicole also always says, hey, you can share this episode. That's really helpful, too. If you have a friend who you know doesn't know what DEI means, they don't want to admit it, but they don't know what the letters stand for, send them this episode. Um, and what else does Nicole say in the outro? Oh, Nicole always reminds y'all that you can go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's now called. You can give us a five-star rating or even a nice review. Uh, you can do the same thing on Spotify Mobile. Uh, Lily, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. And I'm secretly glad I got to do this solo because I got to ask all of my questions as opposed to having uh, to share questions with a co-host. So this was very <laughs> rewarding for me. Yeah, um, well, thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun, and I hope people find our very wide-reaching conversation valuable and entertaining. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, and we will see you all uh, next week. In fact, we will be back next week with Nicole for our end-of-the-year mailbag episode. So reminder, if you would like to get in questions for us to answer or topics for us to talk about, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or you can email stuff to comingoutpod at gmail.com, and we will leave you anonymous unless you specify otherwise. Uh, so go for it. Ask anything. Uh, all right, y'all. Have a good week. Bye.